this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up, Fiji's budget is all about tightening the belt. Also, it is quite a long period of time and the impact of drought is, is quite uh, severe. A change of weather for the region. And later, Vanuatu's beach volleyball team set its sights on the Olympics. Fiji has announced its big budget spend-up of over 4.3 billion Fijian dollars for the next financial year. It aims to address the high cost of living and pay for the hefty bill racked up by the previous governments and the global pandemic, coupled with multiple tropical cyclones and the effects of Russia's war on Ukraine. While unveiling the budget in Suva this morning, Finance Minister Professor Biman Prasad told the nation the focus is firmly on rebuilding and navigating the country from its economic crisis to provide a better standard of living for its people. Joining me is our journalist Rachel Nath, who's been covering the budget. Bola Rachel, it's been a big day for Fiji, hasn't it? Yes, indeed, it has been. Fiji has just received its next financial roadmap. Like, so this essentially will guide Fiji out of the economic crisis that um, it's found itself in from because of the actions of the previous government. Uh, this government has pointed out that there's just been a, a poor management of funds or, or poor management of policies and also external factors like Fiji was hit really badly with the trop- uh, with the tropical cyclones in the last three years and the pandemic. And um, so all of this has put Fiji in a tight position and that's caused the government to have to look at some policies that will help pull the country out of this debt crisis. How much the government has had to give up from its budget to address the hefty debt? Well, nearly 25% of the budget this year has gone into servicing this debt. Um, The government has called it, the finance minister himself said that this remained one of the country's biggest challenges. And on top of this, the government has to find an extra 1 billion Fijian dollars to service the debt. They don't have enough money as it is because the budget has gone into deficit. So... Um, finding an extra billion dollars is a challenge. Well, that will sound like Fiji is backed up against the wall, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess it is because uh, it's got a deficit of about $689 million and and asking to find an extra $1 billion is, yeah, it's a bit of a challenge. And, you know, the government has has given a lot of thought into this budget because um, Professor Biran Prasad told journalists this afternoon uh, in Fiji that they considered this to be a compassionate budget because in a situation like this where countries backed up financially and have to pay debt, what the government would initially do is just increase the um, personal income tax. And so that would hit Fijians' pockets directly. They would have to pay out more money into into the um, to fill up the government coffers. But Professor Prasad said that that's not how they approached it. They gave a lot of thought. And because of that, the tax reforms does not include an increase in individual tax. Actually, one of the few changes that have come through is um, putting basic food items. This is like flour, rice, um, eggs have come down to about zero 
VET ratings. So there's no ticks there. And that also includes prescribed medication now that's been included. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, they still need to fill up uh, the government spending uh, uh, possibilities. And so they we have seen an increase as well of 15% um, to general food items. And um, that would bring in about $444 million back into the economy. And what was the big ticket number? All right. So uh, one of the biggest uh, takers of the pie has to be the education sector. Hands down, the education sector um, has gotten uh, about 845 million Fijian dollars. You know, this is a new government. We have to, I guess, give it to give give them respect where it's due. That it's only been six months since they've come into government. Um, you know, winning the elections, and at the back of that, they made promises that they have to deliver as well because you know their voters are expecting to see come you know into fruition, and I guess. They have delivered on a promise, a major promise. The entire um, coalition parties, individual parties, had said that they would pardon the um, tertiary, um, the TELS, the tertiary loan uh, uh, scheme debt of students. So that's like a student debt loan that the government would um, uh, pardon it. And they've pardoned it in this budget. The budget now will need to be debated in Parliament next week, which was passed um, on the floor today, allowing for a debate to start next week. And uh, it will be debated over a day and uh, voted at the end of it. And uh, we should have more update on that next week for you. Thank you, Sana. The Pacific is about to get a dramatic shift in weather over the next 12 months as it moves from a triple dip La Nina to El Nino. La Nina is the cooling phase, whereas El Nino is the warming phase of the waters in the eastern Pacific off the coast of South America. It's one of the most significant climate drivers for the region. Caleb Fotheringham explains. The Pacific has just come out of three consecutive years of La Nina and is now moving in the opposite direction. Niwa meteorologist Ben Knoll says it means high rainfall for some places like Kiribati that's experienced a long period of drought, while parts of the Western Pacific, like Papua New Guinea, should be drier than normal. The patterns that we've experienced the last three years are probably not a good indication of the types of patterns in terms of rainfall and temperatures that we would expect to see in the coming, say, 6 to 12 months. There is also a higher chance of more cyclones in the southwest Pacific. Mr. Noll says El Nino increases the risk east of Fiji, but it reduces in the west. Cyclone Winston, which was the most intense tropical cyclone in the southern hemisphere on record, hit Fiji in February 2016 during an El Nino event. We tend to see a higher number, and in fact in 1997-98, that was the most active tropical cyclone season in modern records for the Southwest Pacific, and that was a strong El Nino. And there are some similarities with the developing El Nino and that past El Nino. In June 2022, the Kiribati government declared a state of disaster due to drought. Kiribati Met Service Director Winata Tauroa says the country has experienced below normal rainfall since mid-2020, a symptom of La Nina. It is quite a long period of time and the impact of drought is, is quite uh, severe throughout the, the country, affecting a number of communities on the islands, especially those uh, living in the islet 
a part of the islands. So it's it's really uh, severe the the impact. Some communities have reported well water becoming brackish. Mr. Toroa is expecting El Nino to bring very wet conditions and gusty winds to Kiribati. He is hoping that El Nino will put an end to the dry spell. El Nino means good news in terms of the drought, I mean rainfall. But in terms of storms, it's more likely that there will be more severe storms affect the Kiribati region during the El Nino event. For Palau, on the east side of the tropical Pacific, the opposite end to Kiribati, they can expect very dry conditions. Staff meteorologist at the Palau National Weather Service, Kikuko Mokimaru, says El Nino is a concern. 2015, 16 and also 1997-98 were both strong El Ninos. And for the 2015 event, which I was a witness to, we did have a severe drought. El Nino is formed when warmer than average seawater moves from the west to east across the tropical Pacific Ocean. As the central and eastern equatorial Pacific warms, atmospheric patterns begin to affect the region. Amid growing violence and lawlessness, Papua New Guinea police see the solution in having greater powers. The amendments in the Criminal Code Act means the police will be able to use lethal force and other harsher measures to crack down on what the police sees as domestic terrorism. Don Wiseman spoke with our PNG correspondent Scott Waide and asked him just what this new legislation includes. They've included the words domestic terrorism into the amendments. Now, those amendments are supposed to give powers greater ability to search and seize and detain people that they believe are involved in domestic terrorism. Now, the definition of domestic terrorism is in the PNG context is, is relatively new. And given the rise of kidnappings in, in the last, say, I think, 10 years, that's given police this reason to call for added abilities to control that the recent kidnappings of 17 girls and the previous one with the professor and archaeologist, that also put to light a whole range of weaknesses, both in the legal system and, and within the RPNGC itself. So that is expected, and it, it comes at a time, I guess there are concerns around how those powers will be used, but generally that that's the inclusion of the amendments that that are going to happen. There's been use of the term lethal force, and I guess the meaning of that is relatively obvious, but one would have thought that PNG police were already uh, ready and willing to use fairly significant force. Yes, there have been many, many examples of lethal force in use in, in communities. Now, that has always had a strong backlash from communities uh, as well as the international community. Now, I guess this will be a grey area going forward, even though they're trying to define it by law. And again, as I said, how this will be used is a whole different matter. And how the legal system will deal with this, the use of legal force written into law, will be a whole learning experience for Papua New Guinea itself. So how will the community react to it? I'm not sure how the community will react to it. There's uh, going to be mixed reactions. Some will say that, uh, you know, it's it's high time police are given the legal powers to deal with kidnappers who hold people for ransom. That's one argument that's going to come out. There's another argument that will be referring to the Bougainville example, saying lethal force was used on Bougainville and see where it got us. So those two arguments will, will be presented, you know, in the coming weeks, months, when this is being debated. So those, those arguments will definitely 
definitely come about. One of the big issues, of course, with the PNG police is they have been badly resourced for years and years. They know that criminals are becoming better resourced in terms of guns and their communication ability and all of this, their vehicles and so on and so on. So it's an enormous capital investment to make something like this work, isn't it? Yes, it's enormous capital investment. I mean, the police have their own internal problems. They've got housing problems. They've got resourcing problems. In some stations, they don't even have fuel to go out and make arrests. And in a place like Bosavi, which straddles the western province, southern islands, and Hela, it's really difficult to get police in there, resource them, and have them deal with a situation that could potentially escalate and put their lives in danger as well. So I guess... This amendments to the law also takes that into account. If police were to defend themselves, how would they do it? And, and what would be the necessary amount of force that they should use? In an area like Busavi, where these kidnappings have been going on, it's very isolated. There are no roads. They can't drive in there. Have police got helicopters? Do they have access to helicopters? Very limited access to helicopters at the moment. There's a police air wing that uh, police use. I'm I'm not too sure of the status of it right now, uh, operational status. But in terms of getting police to remote locations, it has always been a struggle for police. Life's a beach for the Vanuatu Beach Volleyball team, who are the most successful team in the South Pacific. They're currently preparing for the 2023 Pacific Games in Honiara in November and hope to qualify for next year's Olympic Games in France. On top of their already busy schedule, they'll be hosting the Asian Volleyball Confederation Continental Cup in September, which will serve as an elimination tournament for the Olympics. RNZ Pacific Senior Sports Journalist Elias Satora spoke with Vanuatu Volleyball Federation President Debbie Masao Wakalu this week. We hear that Vanuatu will be holding the qualifiers for the Olympics in volleyball. Uh, you know, how exciting is that to Vanuatu Volleyball and the Pacific as a whole and what has been done uh, in preparation for that? Uh, yes, thank you very much. Yes, so Vanuatu Volleyball bidded to host an Asian volleyball, beach volleyball continental cup for Oceania Zone. So a- Asia has uh, five zones and Oceania is one of the zones. Each zone will have their own cup and then the winner of the cup will go straight to the Asian uh, Continental Cup final and the second place of each zone will go what's called a semi-final and the two winners from the semi-final will progress into the um, Asian Cup final and together there will be eight teams or eight countries in the Asian Cup final and the winner of the Asian Cup goes to the Paris 2024 Olympics. So this is um, the second time Vanuatu's hosted a Continental Cup uh, phase. The first time was in 2000 2011 when we had um, the central zone phase for Oceania, but this one is uh, the full Oceania uh, zone. So this includes Australia and New Zealand, and where this is quite a big tournament. So if you don't come first or second in this tournament, then your Olympic uh, journey is uh, finishes here in Vanuatu. So we're really excited that um, that the Asian Volleyball Confederation granted Vanuatu the Oceania Cup, and I think it's really amazing that uh, it is here in the Pacific, in a Pacific island, so that uh, we can have more Pacific countries come to Vanuatu 
and be a part of this uh, Olympic journey to Paris 2024. Mm, interesting. When is that actually going to happen? And uh, what teams uh, are already confirmed coming to Vanuatu from, uh, from uh, the city? So the Continental Cup will happen in Port Vila on the weekend, first weekend of September, the 1st to the 3rd of September at uh, Coleman Stadium, where we hosted the Pacific Mini Games of 2017. So it's uh, internationally standard facility. We have a fantastic support from the government. We have some government officials on the local organising committee helping to get the, everything organised. And we have, um, so far, we've got Australia, New Zealand, obviously confirmed with Vanuatu. Um, we have Solomon Islands, Samoa and PNG all confirmed. So we're looking, we're waiting for uh, Fiji and Tonga and a few others to confirm, but we're sure that um, they will be putting the confirmation in before the due date. So the, the teams, are, are that both in uh, men and women? Yes, so it's a, a double gender competition with men and women. Each country needs to come with two teams, so two teams for the women and two teams for the men. So it is a country versus country tournament. So you have um, you have team one of, for example, from Australia will play team one of Vanuatu and then team two of Vanuatu will play team two of Australia. And if it's uh, both, both countries win one match each, it goes to a third match. And whoever wins the third match progresses to the in the tournament, but whoever loses that country versus country uh, um, matchup. It's single elimination and they're eliminate, eliminated in the tournament. So it's a do or die tournament with uh, two teams per each country. And we're really pleased that um, we're also engaging not only in uh, players, but we're engaging with uh, Pacific Islander referees. We have uh, one Fiji and female referee from coming over and we have two Vanuatu and um, hopefully one from um, another Pacific country. So it's also a, an opportunity not just for the players to get some experience in in the, in the Pacific, but it's also an opportunity for upskilling our referees and technical officials in, in hosting competitions. So generally, now with all this happening and the Pacific Games, uh, how is Vanuatu Volleyball shaping up? Um, Vanuatu Beach Volleyball team. Yes, we're in, we are quite we are very busy. So next month we will be hosting uh, an FIVB International Beach Volleyball Coaching Course, and we have um, New Caledonia because New Caledonia, Tahiti, and Wallace and Vatuna are actually come under the French Federation, so they cannot take place in this Continental Cup. They're not they uh, uh, come under the French flag. So they, New Caledonia will come over next month in July uh, for a training camp with Vanuatu and, and we'll have um, some friendly matches with them and, and that's part of their preparation towards the Pacific Games and we also had some interest from Wallace and Fortuna. They would like to, to come over in September. They understand they, they can't play in the tournament um, but they would like to come over and just play some friendly matches on the side. So we welcome our brothers and sisters from the French territories as well to, to come over to Vanuatu and get some um, games and playing experience in their preparation towards the Pacific Games as well. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rndi.com slash programs. You can also download us on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, so far, so far.